awesome time of worship. As Nicole was leading us, especially that last song, God reminded me, you know the story when Jacob thought he was all alone and he fell asleep and he had a vision. He saw this stairway connecting heaven and earth and angels ascending and descending on the stairway. And he wakes up from the dream and he says, surely God is in this place. What an awesome place this is. And he calls the place Bethel, meaning house of God. And I couldn't help but think, we're never alone. And when God is there, it just changes everything. And even here at the Oasis, I, I just I feel the presence of God always here. And I don't ever want to take that for granted. And it was like God reminded me of the words of Jacob when he said, well, if I'm here, then what an awesome place this is, right? So this is an awesome place because God's presence is here. James chapter 5 tonight, our next to last message from the book of James. And again, part of why God led me to studies in James, and then we're going to be in Jude in a couple of weeks, is because these are the only two books of the Bible that were written by members of Jesus's immediate family. James and Jude were sons of Joseph and Mary, half-brothers, if you will, to Jesus. And so they grew up with Jesus, and they have a particular perspective on the Christian life, coming to faith in Christ after his resurrection, but at least being impacted by the life of Christ throughout their time here on earth. And we're even going to see tonight a little bit of why I think James talks about the things that he does with us because of the impact that Jesus had on him, even as his brother growing up in Nazareth. I want to read this passage to you, and as I read it, I want you to think of two things. James here is saying, as we sort of piggyback on last week, James wants every Christian to live every day of our life in light of one event. Think about that. James says, as a Christian, I want you to live every day of your life in light of one event. For this reason, our attitudes that we approach life every day should be shaped more by our expectations than our experiences. Let me repeat that, because that's really important. It's something that God has to remind me of almost daily. Our attitudes that we live life with and that we go through every day with should be shaped more by our expectations than our experiences. James is going to talk to us about living every day with the expectation of the coming of the Lord. And James says, when you and I live every day in light of eternity, that we live every day in light of the fact that Jesus could come at any moment, that that's what primarily should shape our attitudes, not our experiences, but our expectations. So James says, beginning in chapter 5, verse 7, So be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's return. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient for it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. And strengthen your hearts, for the Lord's return is near. 
Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. See, the Lord, the judge, stands before the gates. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name. Think of how we regard as blessed those who have endured. You've heard of Job's endurance, and you've seen the Lord's purpose, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall into judgment. Seven times in these short verses, James mentions a concept of patience. And also in these verses tonight, I want you to see that James has six imperatives for us as Christians to live by. Four are positive, two are negative. Let me give them to you quickly. Verse 7, be patient. He repeats that same positive imperative in verse 8, be patient. Then he has two more positive imperatives. Verse 8, strengthen your hearts. And in verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Those are the four positive imperatives in this passage of Scripture. The two negatives, first, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. And verse 12, do not swear. James is giving us six imperatives, but they all center around this, living our life in light of one event, and that is in verse 7, until the Lord's return. Remember last week we said that these folks that were under oppression and persecution and going through really, really hard trials needed to keep their eye on the fact that when the Lord came back, everything was going to eternally change. And that if they were being mistreated or whatever, and, and they were not experiencing justice on earth, and they needed vindication, whatever, Jesus was going to do that when he came back. He was going to set everything right. He was going to right all wrongs. And he was once and for all going to set the record straight for all time. And James wanted to encourage Christians with that mindset. And he wants to do the same thing tonight by, first of all, saying, again, twice, be patient. First of all, this word speaks about an attitude of restraint in the face of provocation. Wow, do we need that today even as Christians? Because there's a lot of provocation out there today. And James is saying, restraint. Don't be treating others the way they're treating you. Hold back, you see. Be patient until the Lord returns. Because as we said last week, he is the avenger, verse 4. He is the Lord of hosts. And James reminded us last week that those that were the workers that were not being treated fair, fairly, that were crying out to the Lord, that their prayers and cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. It is a military term. It pictures God as the great warrior going into battle for his people. And James is saying here, the Lord is going to return. And when he does, he's going to make all things right. He's going to vindicate his people. He's going to avenge all wrongs. Keep your finger there and go back to the Gospel of Luke was just reminded of a couple verses. Luke chapter 18. 
In Luke 18, Jesus told his followers a parable to show them that they should always pray and not lose heart, not grow weary and give up. In fact, Proverbs 24.10, if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. Jesus wants us to be strong. We're going to talk about that in a moment. So it's all about really persevering and enduring under unrighteous situations and unjust circumstances. And notice then at the end, verse 7 and 8, what Jesus says in the parable. To those that he says, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't lose heart. Hang in there. He says, won't God give justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? The answer is yes. Will he delay long to help them? The answer is no. I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will there still be Christians even who are relying upon the fact that the Avenger's coming, that the Lord is going to return and make all things right? Are we trying to take justice and matters and vengeance into our own hands, or are we giving place to God's wrath as we looked at in Romans 12 and saying, God, I'm going to trust you that when you come back, you're the one that's going to make all things right because I don't have the power to make all things right. Things are so messed up right now that it's going to take an act of God. It's going to take the King of kings and Lord of lords coming back and sitting on the throne of earth to make things right because this earth is so sick and so broken and so ridiculously upside down from the way God intended it to be in so many ways that only the visitation from God himself can set things right. So Jesus is saying, don't you hold out those expectations that I'm going to come with justice. I'm going to come with vindication. I'm going to help you. Uh, even if you're in a situation, uh, even here before I come, don't you believe and have the expectation that I will give you grace that is sufficient for whatever uh, demands life is bringing to you? Again, our attitudes are shaped by our expectations. Do we wake up every day knowing, God, I expect you to be with me because you said you would. I expect your promises to be something I can rely on. I expect you God, to give me grace when I need it because you said that all I have to do is humble myself before you and you'll give grace to, to the humble, uh, but you'll resist the proud. And you promised me, God, and I live in the expectation that your grace is sufficient. It's enough. And when we live in those kind of expectations, it makes all the difference in the world of how we navigate life, even when we go through hard times. So back to James chapter 5. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord returns. In a sense, he's saying things aren't going to change dramatically until the Lord returns. So don't put your hope in anything other than the Lord's return. Live life in light of one event. Then he says, think for a moment with me of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient for it until it receives the early and late rains. The farmer recognizes that the fruit is not simply the result of his own personal activity, which obviously every farmer 
must do their own part. But the fruit is also dependent on forces outside of themselves that they cannot control. There's so much that the farmer just has to trust. Part of that is the early and late rains in the land of Israel. The spring rains and the fall rains. They can't control when or if the rain came. That was up to God. So they could do what they could do. And God always says to his people, do the things you can do. Do the things that are within your control. But the things that are outside of your control, which is way more than the things that are inside of our control, trust me. Be patient. Be patient. We talked about waiting on the Lord tonight. We sung about it. Because we need to trust God's timetable. And let's face it, I've been saved now for 50 plus years. God's timetable is never just timetable. Never. And I've had to learn as I walk with God to trust his timing in things rather than my own. You see. So God calls upon his people to be patient. But patience isn't just an attitude of restraint in the, fra- in the face of provocation. There's another angle to it or nuance to it that he brings out in verse 8 when he repeats, you also be patient. The word means be long-suffering. God calls upon his people to be long-suffering people. I mean, in the word itself, there's a lot of description there, right? The implication is God's people are going to what? Suffer. And that we need to be long sufferers. We, we, we need to realize that there's going to be seasons of our life where we're in something for the long haul. And that's what James is reminding us of. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Sometimes trials in life are not sprints. They are marathons. We are in certain seasons a lot longer than we want to be. Yeah, you and I know that even right now, right? So that's why James says, be long-suffering. Be long-suffering people who are able to hang in there and endure and persevere even when the circumstances are not optimal by any stretch of the imagination. Sometimes things are hard, and they're hard for a long time. But he says, wake up every day with your attitude shaped by the fact, but my Lord's coming. And he could come at any time. And maybe this is the last day. So I'm going to live this day to his glory and to his honor. And I'm going to get out of this day everything I can. And I'm going to put my all into this day. And I'm going to serve my Lord however he wants me to serve him. Because my Lord is coming. My Lord is coming. And everything's going to change. That's why he couples being patient with notice, strengthening our hearts. 
developing an inner sense of stability that one cannot be shaken. Strong hearts, God says. I need my people to have not weak hearts, but strong hearts. This is contrasted back to last week in verse 5 of chapter 5, where notice James says, you have fattened your hearts. Your hearts are out of shape. Because you live for material and physical and, and temporal things. You live for the things that didn't matter. You, you didn't, you starved your soul and fed your, your physical well-being. And he says, but, but when we strengthen our hearts, then we'll have the fortitude and the spiritual stamina and the spiritual stick and all of that to hang in there over the long haul and be long-suffering people. God's people need to have strong hearts. And you and I need to allow the Lord to strengthen our hearts because we can't strengthen our own hearts. We must strengthen our hearts from a, a, a force outside of ourselves, and that's God. That's why the Bible says, be strong, what? In the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It, it's always that our strength, even though we are directed to strengthen our hearts, we understand what James is saying. He's not saying you and I can strengthen our own hearts. We look to the Lord to strengthen our hearts and to make us strong so that we can rise to the circumstances that we're living in and be able to rise above the circumstances that we're living in. In fact, I want you to go back again to the book of Luke. Keep being reminded of certain things. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. I want you to see another time that this word, strengthen, is used in the New Testament. It's totally translated a different way, but it'll give you a little bit of a different twist or nuance again to the very same Greek word in the Greek New Testament. Back in Luke 9, 51, this verse is describing Jesus' attitude as he's going to Jerusalem, knowing that what awaits him there, right? And in Luke 9, 51, it says, Now when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. The words set out resolutely are the exact same Greek word that's translated strengthen in the book of James. In a sense, Jesus had a fixed heart. He had a strong heart. He had a heart that was set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem and go through what God's will was for him there. That's the same concept James has for us. He wants us to have resolute hearts, fixed hearts, settled hearts, strong hearts in what God has for us. And if God has for us that we go through certain trials and situations and seasons in life, then God has a great purpose for it. He has a great plan for it. He's going to strengthen his people as we do it. And, and so we've just, again, got to trust him and be patient and be strong through it all. And here's why, back to James 5a. For the Lord's return is near. Now, some have said, oh, wait, wait a minute. This was written 2,000 years ago. Jesus still isn't here. The word near means imminent. In other words, it means Jesus could come back at any 
moment. And that Christians have actually lived in light of the imminent return of Jesus for the last 2,000 years. There is nothing, I tell people, there's nothing on God's prophetic calendar that needs to happen before Jesus comes back to get his bride. Nothing. And it's been that way for 2,000 years. So that's why James is saying, you realize, Christian, that you and I can live every day saying, this could be the day Jesus comes, because it could be. We don't know. It could be another 2,000 years. But God wants his people, though, to live with the idea that this could be the day. Because that expectation of both the Lord coming to change everything and also you and I standing before the Lord and giving an account of the way we're living our life, he wants that to shape our life and our attitude and our expectations and our perspective on everything, you see. The imminent return of Jesus is a foundational Bible doctrine that we need to keep clinging to because again it's all about living life in light of this one event which is why then in verse 9 he says ah you brothers and sisters don't grumble against one another literally stop being resentful and exasperated with one another and why does he say that in this context because we all know even what we've been going through the last seven months on earth and in our own country, when you and I collectively are in a hard season, it starts to wear us down and wear on all of us. And what happens when things in our life, either collectively or just individually, if we're going through something in our life, if we're going through sort of a marathon time of suffering or trial and we start to let it get to us and wear on us, who do we take it out on? The people around us, our family, our spiritual family. It's easier to, you know, to take out our frustrations and all of that on those that are around us. And obviously, God calls us as his people to continue to meet together and be together in community. But he's saying, in these hard times that you're going through, don't get to the point where you start taking out your frustrations, your disillusionment, your discouragement on one another. Because God wants his people to love each other. A love that is stretched out because Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you have the same love for one another that I have for you. That is a love that never runs out. We sing about that. Never runs out. God never says, Jeff, That's the end. Not loving you anymore. No. Unconditional, supernatural, selfless, sacrificial love produced by the Holy Spirit within the life of a yielded believer. And so he says in the context, the Lord could come at any time. 
Do you want him to find you and, and me biting and devouring our brothers and sisters in Christ when he comes? James says, I don't think you do. Because notice he says, and he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to unchristians. He says, do not be resentful or exasperated with brothers and sisters so that you may not be judged, not judged for our sin because that was judged on the cross. It means held accountable by God for what we've done. And we are going to have to give an account before God for the way we've lived our life. Yes, our sin's already been judged, but we still have to give an account of our actions to God. And James is saying, do you want to be held accountable for God because you were someone that bit off your brother's and sister's head? Because notice he says, see, and by the way, this word see in verse 9 is a spiritual word. It's, it's talking about spiritual sight. It means to be able to perceive. See the judge, who's the Lord Jesus, right, stands before the gates. In other words, he's ready to return. Again, so that means our attitudes must be shaped more by our expectations than our experiences. If we knew that the Lord Jesus is literally standing at the gate, just ready to walk through the door in, into our history again and take us all home, would that change the way we live our life and the way we treat each other and the way we approach life every day? By the way, it's very interesting, isn't it, that James gives us this picture of Jesus when most other pictures of the glorified Jesus have him not standing, but what? Sitting. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. No, James says, no, no, no. He's standing. He's done sitting. He's literally standing ready to return. The only thing that's holding him back, the Bible says, is he's long-suffering himself, not willing that any should perish. That's why Peter says his promise to return it's not a slow promise or a promise that is not reliable. Oh, he's coming. But Peter says he's waiting for just a few more to come into the kingdom because he's not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance. He's standing at the gates. What a picture of Jesus Christ. And then he gives us a couple more examples of patience and endurance and perseverance besides the farmer. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name. By the way, here's where I want to bring it back to Jesus for just a moment. As an example, James knew the value of an example. James grew up with an example, Jesus Christ. And now James is saying, oh, let me give you a couple other examples of patient endurance, the prophets. And notice what he says about the prophets. And what he says about them then should again create an expectation with us that we should expect suffering, which requires patience, right? Isn't that what we should expect? Isn't that the message of the Bible? That God's will is not only that we believe in him, but also that we suffer for his sake? 
Jesus said in the world, you're going to have trouble and suffering, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Over and over again, God never promised us that it was going to be easy for us. Never. So just like the prophets, he says, listen, they experienced suffering, but they also handled it with patience. And think of how we regard them as blessed who have endured. Being favored by God, independent of their circumstances, objects of our admiration because they remain bravely under siege of trials without losing heart. And so they faithfully persevered and endured to the end. Let me give you one biblical example that we all know. Daniel. And let me ask us all a question tonight. Would we even know Daniel if it wasn't for his suffering? In fact, when you think about it, how many people in the Bible, how many of our heroes of faith, would they really be heroes of faith? Would they be people that we, you know, learned about from Sunday school on up, even into our adult years? Would we really know them and admire them and all of that if they hadn't went through trials and suffering in their life? The whole reason Daniel stands out is because here was this young man who was ripped from his homeland, taken to a foreign country, placed there as a young man under foreign rule, and had to somehow navigate his faith. And in the midst of all that, he was so strong in his faith with God that he literally was thrown into a lion's den. But again, James is saying, but you know what happened, right? God was with him in the lion's den and shut the mouths of the lions. He was blessed. God favored him. God blessed him because he stood up for his faith and for the Lord. And James is saying, if you and I live that way too, we're going to be blessed and favored too because God's going to use our life as an example to others just as he used prophets and, and people in the Bible who endured and persevered under siege of trials and yet they hung on to their faith and they didn't give up and they didn't give in. James is saying the same thing to us to try to encourage us. Notice he goes on to say, and you've heard of Job's endurance. And you've seen the Lord's purpose. Read the book of Job if you don't know the purpose of the Lord. I'll give it to you in just one verse, although there's much more to it than that. We all know from reading and studying the book of Job that Job knew the Lord before all of his trial. But you know what Job said after his trials when he came to, you know, his senses? He said, before my trials... He said, I had heard of you, God, but now my eye sees you. In other words, Job is saying that, God, I, I thought I really had a handle on you before all this happened in my life, but now I have a deeper, stronger, more profound understanding of you than I ever had before all these trials came into my life. Now I know you in a deeper way, and for that I praise you, God. Because isn't that what life is all about? Coming to a deeper, growing understanding of God? And if it takes trials to be able to do that, then isn't that of greater value than anything that we would lose through our trial? Because Job knew that every at least buddy that he lost, all his family, he was going to see again one day. So it's not like he lost them for good, you see. That was the Lord's purpose. 
Always remember that the Lord has a higher purpose. It's it's a purpose of eternal significance for us or for others. And then he goes on to say, James in verse 11, and the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He's personally affected and moved by what we go through. It's not like God's up there in heaven and, and, and sees the things that we go through, even maybe now in your life, what you're going through or others are going through, and he just has an uncaring, distant, aloof attitude towards it. No, God feels what we feel. We do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the infirmities that we go through. He sympathizes. He empathizes. He's affected. He's moved. He's touched. So if he allows his people to go through something, there's a really good purpose for it. Or else he wouldn't do it. Then comes verse 12 as we wrap this up tonight. And many come to verse 12 and go, how does this fit, this verse fit into the rest of it? I'm going to give you a little bit of a different maybe slant on this than maybe what you've heard up to this point. When James says about not swearing and let your yes be yes and your no be no, many people concentrate on sort of, well, God is saying, you know, don't use me to affirm the veracity of your statements. You should always speak the truth. And and I'm not saying that that's not true, but the more I looked at this, the more I studied it, the more I prayed over it and meditated on it, God also showed me another aspect of this verse. And that is, I think God can also be saying to us, and especially in the context here, say what you mean and mean what you say. And I want to give us an illustration to sort of back that up. And that would be Peter, someone that James knew very well. Not that James is throwing Peter under the bus, but because he doesn't mention Peter, but I'm just using Peter here as an example. Remember back in the Gospels before Jesus went to the cross where Jesus would, you know, talk about this and, you know, I'm going to be betrayed and all this. And Peter was like, oh, Lord, no, 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 not, not me, Lord. I'll never betray you, Lord. I'll never deny you, Lord. In fact, then he turns to all the other disciples and says, even if all the rest of these guys, even if they deny you or betray, I'll never do it. That's what came out of his mouth, right? Well, we know what Peter did, right? And, And I think the reason I wanted to go there tonight is because Peter was uttering those words when the pressure was on. And sometimes when the pressure is on and we feel squeezed, we can begin to utter things out of our mouth sort of flippantly without maybe thinking it all the way through. Peter's obviously not the only human being that's ever done that. We've all done that at some point in our life. And so I think God in this context is saying, when times are difficult and rough, before you just start, you know, making promises or making statements, say what you mean and mean what you say. 
and make sure before you make some kind of declaration that you've really run that all the way out and thought it all the way through. Even as Jesus teaches in another place, count the cost before you make such a statement. So that, James says, you and I may not fall again into judgment. Again, not speaking about the judgment of our sins that already Jesus took care of on the cross, but under God's discipline. And we know God does discipline every one of his children. James saying to us, life is hard. Think about the farmer. Think about the prophets and all that they went through. Think about Job. It's just the way it is. But James is saying, if you and I can live our life every day in light of the fact of one event, the Lord's going to come. And his return is near. He could come at any moment. And when he comes, everything's going to change for all of eternity. And I'm going to be in glory. And you're going to be in glory. And we're going to stand before our king. And each one of us is going to give an account of our Christian life here on this earth. James says, if you and I would live every day in light of that, he said, that's all the fuel and inspiration and motivation we will need because our attitudes should be shaped more by our expectations than by our experiences. So, God is just saying to all of us, be patient and strengthen your hearts. The Lord's return is near. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us truth that we can base our expectations on. That, Lord, we have something solid, firm, to be able to get up and look to each and every day. Even as Nicole reminded us, all your promises, God, are yes and amen. So, God, may we wake up every day with the expectations that, God, you're going to fulfill your promises today, just as you do every day. We don't think about the sun coming up every day, but it does. We don't think about the moon coming up every night, but it does. Because you've got it. And you've got us. And you've got this church. And you've got this world. And you've got a plan for it all. And history is your story, God. And it's going according to your plan. And even though men may think they're ruling, God, you overrule. Because you're the king of kings and lord of lords. And you are still and always will be on your throne. God, you're coming one day. And I pray for all of us that we would live every day in light of the king is coming. God, thank you that we can look to that every day, that we can have that hope, 
that we can have that assurance, God, every day that our King is coming. Lord, would you strengthen us? We need your strength, God. We are so weak in and of ourselves, and we get so weary, and we get so worn out, and we get so discouraged so easily, God. And yet, you maybe call us to just hang in there a little bit longer. And so, God, I just pray that that you would make us all strong, make our church strong, God. Help us to not get exasperated with each other and start taking out our, our frustrations on each other, but, God, to remain unified as your people and to continue to stretch out our love for each other, God, to show this world how God's people are to be. God, I just pray that you would use us as you used the prophets, as you used Job of old. That, God, we would be resilient, that we would be resolute, that we would hang in there and bravely and courageously face whatever God you have planned for us and hold on to our faith and hold on to our hope until we see Jesus. Enable us, God, to be a long-suffering, patient, and strong people so that we can bring honor and glory to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.